Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has the goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. Meg is walking around in the badlands of South Dakota, the land of the Ogallala Lakota tribe. So it's me, Alex, gracing you with an intro this week. In episode 105 of the Outdoor Minimalist podcast, Meg explores how rural communities can build more inclusive outdoor spaces. To do this, she sat down to chat with Kristen Neithercutt, co-founder of the Montana-based nonprofit, The Female Climbers Collective. Kristen and the rest of the board members are on a mission to create more inclusive outdoor spaces. They believe that people should be able to show up in the outdoor spaces exactly as they are. No labels, no BS, no faking. We create a space and a platform for authentic connection and community around rock climbing. This podcast is sponsored by Diorite Gear. Diorite Gear sells sustainable trekking poles handmade in their Portland, Oregon workshop. By taking ownership of their production, Diorite Gear is also able to minimize their trace in manufacturing and in the environment, while their poles' recyclable and easily repairable components allow you to do the same. As someone that hikes daily and often in the Cascade Mountains or its foothills, trucking poles are a staple in my gear lineup. And the diorite poles not only have comfortable cork handles, but I love the high level of adjustability, durability, and overall performance, no matter the time of year I happen to be hiking. Use the code MINIMALIST for 10% off your order. So thanks for joining me on the Outdoor Minimalist podcast today, Kristen. I have been looking forward to hearing more about the Montana Women's Climbing Festival that happened earlier this year. But before we get into all of that, I would like to get to know about you as a person. So how did you first get into outdoor recreation and how does it fit into your life now? Thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. First of all, how did I get into outdoor recreation? Well, I was, I grew up in Michigan and sports and playing outside look a lot different in Michigan than in Montana where I am now, but I always grew up ski racing and ski racing was like my thing as a kid. And so as soon as I graduated from college, I moved out to Montana and I was just planning on being a ski bum for a little while and then like figuring my life out. And I never left. And so I've been here for 10 years. And I think that, you know, part of how I got into what we're going to talk about is because recreating outside as a woman in Montana, as in rural areas, it's just a little bit different than somewhere like right outside of San Francisco or just somewhere that has a denser population. And so I moved out here and I didn't know how to rock climb. And I didn't know how to mountain bike and I didn't know how to backcountry ski. And those are three things that I love doing now. And my community now is kind of built in these little pockets of the hobbies that I like to do. And that kind of led me into this nonprofit work that I do. And how has it fit into my life? You know, it's changed and shifted throughout like the pandemic. I got furloughed and I manage a concert venue and event space. So 
just like every concert venue, we shut down. And so I was playing and collecting unemployment and really focusing on my hobbies. And now today it looks more like weekend warrior status, sometimes three-day weekend status and less full time as it was, you know, during the pandemic and during when I was furloughed. So it's nice that your hobbies are always there and they fluctuate so much, you know, like I haven't rode my bike that much this year, but we've been climbing a lot, which is great. So yeah. Yes, absolutely. And during that time period when you were more so like playing outside during the pandemic and things like that, is that kind of when this nonprofit idea came to play and it kind of started up or was that a project that you had existing? So it started during the pandemic. I started a guiding company. I got my single pitch instructor certification through AMGA and I got a permit to guide just outside of Bozeman. And I really didn't have a network. I really didn't have a big crew of people. (laughs) I was just, I knew that I wanted to teach women how to climb. And I knew that women, it was a perfect situation. It's like a, it's like the special little place where you can really brush up against fear in a way that's safe since you're on a rope or, you know, in your mind, you're like, I'm going to die and I'm going to fall and this is not okay. And, and so it's like, you're scared, but you're safe because, you know, I was the guide and I was the person that was like keeping the, the people safe. So anyways, I wanted to teach women that essentially they're stronger than, than they think and, and that fear is something that can be managed. And so I started this guiding company and through that, I met all of these amazing humans and really built to my climbing community through that. And so the person who started the climbing festival, Anju, but she just had this dream. She had this dream of a grassroots cooperative event that brings women together around rock climbing. And so she put in for a permit and got the permit, which is a hard thing to do in Montana. The permitting process takes minimum six months. And there are some places that you just virtually cannot get permits. So anyways, what happened was Anju had this dream. She put in for a permit. And then once you get the permit, then you build around the permit. It's similar to like liquor licenses in Montana. They're really hard to get. They're really expensive. So anyways, I was doing my thing with my guiding and I was getting gear from a, a local shop to use for my guiding thing. And she was like, oh, you should talk to Anju. There were like a couple, three other people that were like, you should talk to Anju. Like she's doing this climbing festival thing. I'm too swamped. I can't be involved. You should be involved. And so we got connected that way. And, and that's kind of how the climbing festival started was, you know, she had a permit and she had this vision and around that we built this grassroots environment. And, you know, the first year that we did it, we were just the Montana Women's Climbing Festival. It was an LLC. We're just going to see if people would show up. Do people even want this? Is this a space where this can even happen? So we started, and at that time, there were four of us that were planning. Three of us still are on the board of directors, and the one person has switched out in the different iterations of this. But we made an LLC, and you know, I was the only person that had any event planning experience and background at all. And everyone else either worked at like a sports store shop and had a lot of connections in the industry or were guides and climbing coaches. And so we kind of divvied up all of the things that kind of needed to happen. And my role was kind of the organization and the ticketing and, you know, how is it going to run? How is it going to look to the guests, to the user when they engage with the festival? And then, you know, we were running clinics and all of those things. And so we were able to kind of like, look at, you know, this is what we think should happen. This is how we can kind of divvy up who's working on sponsorships and who's working on the marketing piece and who's working on the guiding and the clinics piece. And then all of the like admin organizational things kind of fell on my plate just because that's what my background is. And, you know, our first festival was 40 bucks and 
clinics were 40 bucks and it was very grassroots. We were all, I mean, we all still all volunteers. The difference now is that we do actually pay all of our guides to be there year two and year three, we are paying our guides, but we made it super cheap and we sold out at uh, about 50 people, I think. And then our wait list was double that. So we had all these people on the wait list and we couldn't at that point, we didn't have relationships with the, you know, good relationships yet with the U.S. Forest Service or the Bureau of Reclamation because we camp on a reservoir. And so we work with the Bureau of Reclamation for our campsite. And so, you know, in the different iterations of how, how this has evolved, we've built relationships with those different people and they know what to expect from our group and that we're not coming in and we have a bunch of RVs and we have fireworks and we're loud and we like negatively impact our environment or we're camping where we shouldn't be or like using the bathroom, how we shouldn't, you know, garbage everywhere, like all of that stuff. That's what they're nervous about on the first year. And so going into the next years and, and becoming a nonprofit and stuff, they were so much more lenient on, you know, their expectations, but we had no idea going into it if people were going to show up how, like what to do, how many parking spots do we have? How many, like all of these things that we were like, we're just going to figure it out and hopefully it's going to be great. And it was, and it, it was really very well received in the wait list. I mean, the only downside was in general climate change, the smoke almost shut down the climbing area. So U.S. Forest Service lifted the ban on access to one of the areas that we climb 10 days, maybe even less than that, seven days before our festival was supposed to be there. And then with the smoke, there were a lot of people that couldn't come just because of health reasons were outside for three days. And so after the first year, we were like, okay, this is a thing. People want it. It's viable. And like, now what the hell are we going to do? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I love how much it has like grown and impacted that area positively. And just to kind of like back up for a second. So the first year you just established the LLC for the Montana Women's Climbing Festival. And now in the third year, it has grown into the Female Climbers Collective, which is the nonprofit, correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Awesome. So I would love to know a little bit more about kind of like the goals and the mission behind why the climbing festival is really important for all of the women involved in creating it since you already had built that community for yourselves. And so like, why did you feel it was necessary to expand it to a wider audience? Yeah. So after year one and going into year two is when the nonprofit hit, we were like, okay, we're getting all this funding and we need more to make this a viable thing to stay consistently doing this. We're paying fees for in certain areas where if you were a nonprofit, you wouldn't have to. Also an LLC for tax purposes, like hits somebody's taxes. And so there were a lot of reasons that were like, it makes sense for us. And also we're not making any money. So like, <laughs> it doesn't really make sense to keep it as an LLC. If like they're, they're, we're not actually making any money and this it isn't supposed to be a thing that is making money. It is a, a thing that builds community. And so like we created the nonprofit as an umbrella and the mission of the Female Climbers Collective, which is the nonprofit that hosts the Montana Women's Climbing Festival and ideally more things in the future. And we'll get into that, but you know, the goal of this festival and everything that the Female Climbers Collective does is to create a safe allied space for women and genderqueer individuals to in the rock climbing world. And we do that, like we build the platform for, or we create the platform for the community to come together. And that's what we do with the festival. Like, you know, it started selfishly because I wanted more climbing friends. But what it grows into is, you know, during the festival, I'm like, not really, <laughs> I'm not actually, it's not actually for me. You know what I mean? We're creating the platform and we're bringing people together. And we do like a little icebreakery, like break everybody up and meet other people and have some questions that kind of break down barriers right at the beginning so that, you know, like 
you kind of are in a group of six. So you're like these six people, I know they're here by themselves and they're really intimidated. One person just got out of a really bad breakup and wants to get back into moving your body, like whatever it is, it creates a smaller and more intimate space. And so we start out with some curated things that kind of break down barriers right off the bat. But other than that, we're like, we're camping and we're climbing together. And so we're creating that platform for people to come together to build the community. And I think that a big piece of our mission and when we're looking at, you know, how are we different than other people and what does growth look like? And for us being in rural communities like Montana, there are pockets of like bigger towns in Montana. We're all still, it's all still pretty small, but rural community, like the vast majority of Montana is very rural. And so how do you connect people in rural communities so that you feel a sense of community. And that's kind of what our mission is, is like focusing on the rural aspect of our community to be like, hey, everyone in this platform, in this container this weekend is all like-minded and allied and we're spread across the, the state of Montana, which is huge, but we're all, we're here and you're not alone. And there are other people that look like you or feel like you or show up in a similar way. And we all like this hobby and the sport together. And you're not alone, even though it sometimes feels like it because of how rural the area is. And another piece of the mission, which you're not really getting as much in, I keep saying rural areas, and I don't really know how else to describe it, but there isn't a lot of education or opportunity for continuing education in the state of Montana. And so that's another piece is the education piece and knowing that people can come to our festival and learn something like maybe they're in a gym to crag space, you know, not really climbed outside too much, or maybe they're pushing their grades and they want to work on head space or mindset or movement or whatever. It's like, that is a big piece. And, and that's why we pay our guides. That's why the guides that we get are all allied in this space so that you're the user, the, the guest is going into a clinic with someone that has a similar mindset and has an understanding of where they're coming from, which you're not really there's just not that opportunity elsewhere in Montana right now. And so those were kind of our things. It's like, we're here to help shift the narrative in an area that feels really rural to be like, there's a space for you here. And there's also continuing education here. And the way that you show up today can be different from tomorrow or from the next day. And you're welcome. And you're enough, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. It really reminds me of I had an episode come out in June with the Uncharted Outdoors Women organization, mm -hmm. and they were talking about how important it is to have women instructors so women can feel comfortable really kind of like learning new skills and pushing boundaries because when women are together, like when I have entered outdoor spaces, most of my life, it's very male dominated, as mm -hmm. you can probably <laughs> attest to that. And I worked in the rock climbing industry for a long time before I was a writer. And so like knowing that there are spaces where people are trying to like cultivate a stronger community, like focused on female body movement and the way that we work as different teams and individuals and our mindsets and stuff is just so much different than I think the industry standard has established, I guess. Totally. 100%. And, and I feel like, you know, as I said, when I moved out here, I learned how to do like some of this started for me very selfishly. Like I learned how to do all of the sports that I love so much that I do all the time in Montana from men and not that that's bad. My life partner is actually one of the people that taught me how to trad climb, love him to death. 
But recreating with women and in allied spaces where you don't necessarily feel like you have to show up and push your grade or red point something, or the goal is to send your hardest, blah, 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 like whatever it is, the goal sometimes. And I think that as the Female Climbers Collective and as the Montana Women's Climbing Festival, we're never, we're always there to cheer people on that are sending and that are crushing and that whatever, but like, we're also holding space for like, I just like to do this because it's fun. And that's the kind of climber I am. Like, I just show up in this space and like, I started guiding because like, I like to do this. This is, but like, I'm not this like elite athlete. I'm not this crazy. I have not built my entire life around climbing and that's all I do. And I live and I breathe it. It's like, this is, brings joy and that's enough. Like that can be enough. And you're part of this community, whether you're climbing 512 or whether you just got your first bouldering problem in the gym, like it's, it's all the same. And we're all here around the same joy and I feel like sometimes in, you know, male dominated and, and really masculine centered grade chasing vibe that, that comes with typical climbing, like we are in opposition of that. We are, you know, we're here to serve the community that that doesn't necessarily resonate with. And I think, you know, last year, one of the workshops that we did, we had a licensed therapist come in and it actually ended up being really great because we had a day of rain. <laughs> and so we all sat together and it was cold and it was rainy and we were under this group shelter and we all came together with blankets and we talked about fear and how fear and how stress shows up in your climbing and how you manage fear with a partner and communicate with your partner in these stressful situations that we love to do and that we enjoy doing. And whether your stress level is or your threshold for stress is over here, or if it's, you know, your summiting on sighting first ascent, like whatever it is, it's like, we all feel stress and we all feel fear. And how do we take those emotions and manage them and be able to communicate with maybe non-allied people, or maybe you're in a group of male dominated people that are there and they just want to summit or they just want to push grades or they're whatever it is. It's like, how can we deal with our emotions and talk about them and, and bring them into the conversation? And I don't think that those conversations are necessarily happening outside of spaces like this that are intentionally bringing those up. I would agree. Yeah. That those conversations are not really <laughs> happening outside of that. It sounds amazing though. Like it's all so relevant and important and it influences your experience while you're climbing. Like you can turn something that could become a really negative climbing experience into something that ends up being really positive. And I think that that is great. And I think that sometimes too, like when you're, you know, when you're talking about backcountry skiing, it's like you have your partner and you guys talk about what the objective is for the day. And and you're talking about maybe like the route and what the weather's doing and where you're going, like all of these things are kind of, you're kind of like charting it out and mapping it out. Whereas climbing, that doesn't necessarily always happen, but like we still are carrying all of our life, like, like all of our stuff, like we're still, it's still stressful and it's still hard or whatever. And so it's not, it isn't necessarily the same platform as other sports where you're like in communication with your partner and you're talking about the objective or the weather or like how things are going as you're going. It's like the climbing just feels different, but in these situations, you're still bringing all of your emotions and all of the things that have happened to you leading up till then, or the stress of your day or, or whatever. And, you know, helping start the conversation around like, how are you bringing that up to your partners that you're like showing up to the crag to go climbing with your partners? And you can be like, 
Hey, I just had this horrible day and I had to let an employee go and I'm just really not feeling it. And I'm going to climb five sevens. All that's all, that's all, that's it. And like have that conversation and be able to have that and be comfortable with it because that's real. That's what's real, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I always like to climb five point fun and fun is different for everyone. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) kind of looking back over like your successes with this festival and how much it has grown and changed, I would be really interested to hear about kind of, I don't know, maybe some of your challenges that you have overcome through organizing this festival and some things that you have kind of like changed or really thrived with in the last three years. Mm. Or even just with this most current festival, whatever makes sense for your mind. Yeah, I think that the event planner and the like type A person that I am, I went into this and I was like, I also have like a little bit of a background in wellness and in my job, my other job, I used to put these like wellness events together that are curated and I've been on retreats and stuff. So I'm like looking at this festival and I'm like, oh, we could do this and this and this and oh my gosh. And then everyone shows up and there's a goodie bag and blah, 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 all these things. And so like when I got into it, I was like, I had all these lofty ideas of like how we could make it really cool and really special. And over the past three years, some of those have come to fruition. Like for example, we wanted to be able to offer a meal because the way that our campsite is laid out, you're kind of spread out in this group site and it's car camping. So everybody brings their camping stuff. And sometimes people eat near their cars or they'll bring the cooking stuff over to the group site area and kind of eat together but it was very spread out. And so a piece where it would be great is, you know, everybody arrives on a Friday and they leave on a Sunday. And so there's really like one full night together. And so I was like on Saturday night, if there could be food so that people you're, you get done climbing and you come in and you change, but you come back and there's no, there isn't like a disconnect. It feels more fluid and you're like staying with everyone and no, no one's like going back to their cars and not coming back until the evening programming. And so there have been a few things like that, where it's like, I want the meal. I want a meal. I want to be able to give everyone a meal so that everyone is still like the conversations and the connection and the, you know, what happens over a meal when someone else, when it's it's just great. So anyways, there have been things like that. And and that was a success this year. We had a partner that helped provide chili, which in retrospect, I was like, I don't know about chili. And then it was cold and chili was amazing. And it was highlight, like the highlight of some people's trips were like in blankets a little bit. Cause like Montana at the beginning of June is still cold. So the food was great. We got that this year. It was incredible. It was so great. I hope to work with Emma and her team again next year. And another thing that worked really well, we became a nonprofit a month or two before year two. And because of that, we didn't, it's not like we were fundraising. We've always relied on brand sponsorship from climbing brands and even like reaching out to like the local REI or or whatever for sponsorships that is also like part of our raffle. But like that funding is the only funding that we've ever had. Going into year three, we had been now a nonprofit for enough time to fundraise which ended up being incredible because one of our challenges this year was funding. I don't know if like everyone, it seems like all brands are cash poor, but gear heavy. And so it's like, everybody wanted to send us gear, but that isn't actually paying our guides and paying the fees that we have to whatever and paying for our website and our insurance and like all of our things. It's like, we need to sell all this gear on a gear trade or whatever to be able to pay for this festival. So that was a challenge this year was like, we were hoping for more funding from brands, 
But then what came out of it was we did local fundraising for nonprofits. There are a couple different initiatives that we'll participate in going into next year. But in Bozeman and in the Gallatin Valley, we have this thing called Give Big and all of the nonprofits in the Valley can participate in it. And from that, we raised, I was hoping for $1,000 and we raised so much more than that. And it was so great to see that like we can rely on the community for funding and the community. It was just reassuring that like the community also believes in what we're doing and we don't necessarily have to ask Black Diamond or Mountain Hardware or whatever for big chunks of money to help us keep doing this work and serve our mission. A thing in the past that was also hard was figuring out dates. That was challenging. Our first one was in the fall, which is fire season. Our second one was over a holiday weekend because we wanted to be able to bring more content. And so we did it over Memorial Day weekend. And we were able to like come in on a Friday and leave on a Monday and have like two full days and two full nights of content and speakers and all this stuff. And it ended up blowing up in our face. Not only because it was a holiday weekend, but also because it rained. It like rains every time. So anyways, I think that also the later that we go into June and into the summer is guiding season for guides. And so it's hard to then get the guides that we want or like have an incentive for them to come because not all of them are necessarily Montana based. So yeah, it's like every year there's a different iteration of an issue, but it's also turned into something that works out really well. And like year two, when it rained, it was like, we had all these workshops planned and it was awesome because everyone could sit. We had a full day of workshops that we all did together. So they got the content and they got the things that we had planned. It just didn't necessarily happen at night and there was less climbing than we had originally planned. So yeah. I mean, it all sounds very successful. A lot of different things to overcome in there. And a couple of things that kind of, as you were talking, it made me wonder because you mentioned earlier that the, what is it? The land reclamation people? Bureau of Reclamation. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Bureau of Reclamation. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. They were like concerned of having the Mm -hmm. festival there. And when I, when you think of a festival, like oftentimes people do think of like trash being left behind, really loud groups, you know, like kind of interfering with the piece of that landscape. And so how have you kind of integrated like sustainability and leave no trace, not only into your programming, but how you run the event? Yeah, I I think that that's always been an important piece. And as we look at growing, that is, it's a tough piece. So for us, we wanted to be as environmentally friendly as possible. And the way that we do that is through, so where we camp is on a reservoir. And we have one group site with a group covering, like a pergola thing with a bunch of picnic tables under it and a couple pit toilets. And then there's water on site. So there's electricity, water, and toilets on site and enough parking for everyone to park and camp in their car or camp in a tent. And it's kind of down this road that's a little private, which was an important piece for us as well, just based on the community. And what we do is then the climbing is like a eight to 10 minute drive away to these little canyons that are just east of the campsite. And so sustainability for us just looks like not having access. Like we were talking about, you know, what could we do for our participants that is not a huge lift on us, but seems like a value add for them. And like, how could we represent a brand or give stuff away or whatever? And the piece of not giving away crap to give away crap 
is like an important piece and doing whatever we do and doing it in an intentional way. And so that's how many clinics we have and how many cars go over to the, the place that the climbing area and condensing the clinics to shuttle in cars. That's not giving away paper timetable of like, this is all the things that are happening for the event, like the run of show for the next few days. You know, we're not giving people goodie bags filled with crap. That's just going to be garbage. And so other pieces are, you know, we offer coffee and tea and pastries and all of that is a serve yourself and we don't provide plates or bowls or utensils or cups or anything because you're camping. And so you should have all of those things. And, you know, I think that a goal of mine, hopefully if we can do it next year is to be able to have a sponsor, have some sort of like a Yeti, like mug or something that's like a branded mug that then everybody can have for the coffee and the tea that then is reusable. But yeah, yeah, it's like we're talking about, okay, so we're going to do this every single year and we want to be able to have value ads. But like the first year it was like a shirt. So like everybody got a shirt, but I'm like, I don't need, I don't need one more shirt. Let me tell you something. I do not need another shirt. And if we do this for 10 years, I do not need 10 of these shirts. And so it's like, what can we do? And, and what is it that feels like it's intentional? And maybe it elevates a brand that we're working with that is excited about whatever it is, like the mug or, or something, a chalk bag, like, I, I don't know, whatever it is that it could be something that is is reusable and supports those values, I guess, and doesn't feel like you're giving away crap, just give away crap kind of thing. Yeah, I think that happens a lot where it's like, we need a goodie bag, but the goodies inside are really not that good. Yeah, it's so. like a shit ton of stickers. You're like, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need more stickers. Yeah. No, and that's like, awesome. I feel like brands give a lot of like those neck tubes, like the, I call them a buff, but like, that's just the brand. Oh but, yeah, yeah. And they're like crappy. They're like, I'm like, where, what even is this fabric? <laughs> like, I don't even, when we're asking brands for stuff, I'm like, do not send any neck tubes and do not send any of this like crappy, like sunglass, weird stuff. Like I'm okay with chaps and with like chalk and like repair stuff for your callous tans but like don't send us any of that other crap like it's just crap with your name on it and like that's not we don't like that <laughs> yeah the consumables are a different story those people will actually use those so that is mm -hmm. much nicer yeah that's cool though i like the focus on intentionality is also important i think if you're having like people from all over the state to kind of come in and see like how other people recreate outside and like demonstrating a more responsible approach can be really impactful. And I don't always think that that's done in Montana, like the other, so we're on some group sites and the rest of the camping is like individual sites that you can rent. And, you know, when we were there over Memorial day weekend, which is a big weekend for people to go out and the campers and all this stuff, it's just like, the four wheelers and the razors and the campers and all the stuff. And it's like, ah, like that, that's like no shame on if that's the way that you recreate and that's fine. But like, we can get more people if we don't have campers and we can walk and we you know, like, you don't, you just don't necessarily need all of those things. And so it was funny to be, you know, us over here on our little group campsite. And he's like, <laughs> like campers and the power boats and all the things running by. I just, I think that that's like kind of a climber's ethos too. And the people that are interacting with the environment in a way that we are, it's like, we didn't even think twice about it. Like, obviously we're not bringing campers. Obviously we're not, you know, showing up in this way that we're not all driving up like the Canyon that you can climb in is like super, super skinny. And like, we're obviously not driving up there, although you can, and it is a through, you can cut through to go to the other side of the mountains. And so there are people that drive through it and there are climbers that stop on that road, 
but it's like there's no reason to do that <laughs> like it this is just eroding this environment but yeah I, I think that it was for us it was like a no-brainer yeah that makes a lot of sense the activity that you plan on doing often dictates those types of things. So, okay. So back to the festival in general and Mm -hmm. kind of like the growth and changes that have occurred over the last three years and the establishment of the female climbers collective. Do you guys have plans to expand even more or to enter more communities in Montana or even outside of Montana at some point? Yeah. Well, I feel yes. The answer is yes. Um, But growth for us right now looks like growing our board. There are four of us that do this and we also have full-time jobs. And so it was a lot this year. And so growth for us looks like increasing the board and then being a reflection of our community. And, And so growing our board also looks like including that diversity, which is really important for us. I think that like the four people that are on the board are white, straight, this women. And that is not necessarily a reflection of the community that we speak to and the community that we're including in our festivals and in our reach. So goal for us would be growing the board and then from there, growing our reach. Like geographically right now, you know, most of our reach is Montana, Colorado, and Washington. And the age demographic is like late 20s to like 40-ish, like 41-ish. So We did have a couple people this year from out of state, some people from Colorado. We even had a woman come in from Chile for our BIPOC scholarship, which was incredible. So I think that expanding the board of directors helps us expand into the Helena market, the Billings market, the Kalispell market, the Missoula market of like just spreading out across Montana. And then growth like long-term looks like other rural areas. Like how about Idaho? How about Wyoming. How about, you know, we're obviously not trying to be in competition with something like the International Climbers Festival in Lander. And that's not, we're, you know, growing to be that large isn't necessary with one festival isn't necessarily our goal. It's like, how can we build more community? The idea and then the, and the mission and the, and the growth is community building in rural areas around rock climbing and educating those communities and creating a platform for people to show up and know that they can show up as they are. And those are, it's not necessarily like to grow to be a huge and like make it a business in and of itself. It's like, how can we keep it small and organic and small, like this year's festival, we sold 80 tickets. And so sure that isn't like 450, like I went to one in California that is a climbing festival and they had like 450 people. And, you know, it gets to a point where it doesn't feel necessarily like community building as much. It just feels like an experience more of like a retreat experience and less of like community. And like, for me, you know, the coolest part of what we do is hearing the stories. So like, for example, I go to the dentist all the time and they all are still wearing masks, which is great, but I didn't recognize this person. And she pulled her mask down and she was like, I was at the climbing festival. Hi. And I was like, oh my gosh, hi, (laughs) what's up? This is great. Hi. And she was like, I'll have you know that we started a thread after that festival. And now we have this group thread of all these people at the festival and we've been meeting up and climbing. And like that, that is the point. That is exactly, there's a Facebook group of people that are meeting up. Like that is why we are here. And that is the point is so that when you're driving through Missoula, you know, this person, cause you met them at the climbing festival and you can stop and you can climb. And that is why we are here. And I don't necessarily feel like if it grows to be super, super huge that you still get that. And the other piece is that, you know, in rural areas, 
versus somewhere like in Lander, which I guess is rural, but there is a lot of climbing around there. We just, our crags aren't that big. We, we don't have the space to be this huge thing. And so it's like, how can we grow our community like more far reaching with other things that we're doing and not necessarily focus on one thing and make it as big and as whatever as we can. It's like, how can we reach more people and create more inclusive spaces? Because I, I think that that is what's missing sometimes in the rural areas. Yeah. And having that more intimate environment will cultivate community like more naturally. So it makes a lot of sense to focus on that growth aspect of like how to better cultivate those things within the festival and then focus on other things within the nonprofit. And I mean, you have had this experience with your board of directors and like creating all of these things and having all these experiences. And I know that there are rural areas all over the country where there's great recreation opportunities and probably people that wish that they could cultivate similar communities to yours. So how do you think other areas or other people could help create a more inclusive outdoor community, even if it isn't revolving around rock climbing in their rural area? Uh, That's a great question. And my feedback is to start, is to just start and maybe it's a Facebook group. Maybe it's, it's like, you have to start somewhere. And that's what we did with the festival. And, and, you know, we'll say things like we want to create an inclusive space, but then like, what does that mean? Or like, for example, going into this year, we had a community member reach out and they said that they will get us funding for scholarships for people of color. And so that was something that like, I cannot speak to that community. That is not a community that I can speak to, but there are people in our community that identify with that community that can then speak to that community and help us bridge that gap to be able to create an inclusive space. And so for me, it's like, or for us, I guess, it's like, how do you lean on your community? So it's it's first building the community and then it's leaning on the community and it just takes time. In my mind, I'm like, we should have a more diverse board or we should X, Y, Z, like have this BIPOC scholarship, be targeting the less able people, like whatever it is, like how can we make this more of an inclusive space? And it's like, it takes time. It takes time and where you only have, you, you know, whatever your bandwidth is. And, and it started with women. It was like a group of women came together and we were targeting women because that is how that is how we identify and that is how like that is the the group of people that we can speak to and from there it you know it evolves and part of the mission and, and being in Montana is the need for stuff like this is that and you know not to get political and, and but like everyone does not feel safe outside and especially in rural areas and places like Montana the LGBTQ community and people of color in Montana in rural areas, like it doesn't always necessarily feel like a safe space. And being a a white woman, I I can't speak to that, but I can speak to, you know, the female experience of showing up at the crag and having all of these men that are out just macho energy. And so it's like, how can you build community and speak to the fact that we're open to these other communities and then let them come and share their stories or let them come and lean on their community and, and offer these scholarships. It comes back to like starting somewhere and then like working from your heart and like knowing, yes, we're targeting women, but we're also targeting in general underrepresented community members and the underrepresented community members feel I'm sure differently, but in a similar vein of like the other people that don't feel like they can show up in this space in a real way. And and so maybe it's not the exact same stressors, but like, we're all trying, like the, the point is that we all feel like we should be able to show up in this space. And so that's why it's a space for all of us kind of thing. And so 
I guess, like to someone that's trying to create a more inclusive space in their rural community, it's like once you start preaching what your values are and once you like decide what your values are and then make decisions and live from that space, it's like then the the other people are going to come. Like we keep being like, this is grassroots. And what we mean by that is I don't want to do everything. I don't want to have everybody, I don't want to plan all the programs. I don't want to plan every single thing. It's like, that's when Yuki reached out about this scholarship. I was like, yes, I cannot do that by myself. <laughs> Great. This out, like, how can you lean on the people that have the connections that are in those networks that, you know, are aligned in the same space. And it just takes time to build those relationships, but it's worth it. And I think the shoulding is the hard part. Like, it's like, don't listen to the shooting, just trust that the, the process will, will happen. And, and like, even now I'm like, how can we bridge the gap? How can we reach more people? How can we do all these things? And so that's what we're thinking about is like, how can we be even better at what, at what we're doing? Because we're not amazing there. Are, I mean, there's the climber that's never climbed and there are climbers that are sending harder than I'll ever climb in my entire life. And how do we create community between all of those people. And then there are the people that don't feel like they belong because of how they show up in a space or because of who they love or whatever it is. It's like, gosh, it's like every single, I'm like <laughs> North, South, East, West. It's like, there's so, there's so much. And it's easy to get caught up in like, we're not doing enough or we're, we're, we should be doing this. It's like, start somewhere and just like take the first step and then the rest will come. Yeah. I think that's a great philosophy. And potentially more grounding, you know, like not as overwhelming to like jump in and being like, we need to do this, 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 and this for it to work. Just going into it and being like, this is what I have and this is what I can offer and we'll make it work. And we're doing our best, like knowing that you're like coming from your, you're living from your heart space, you're living your values, you know, you came up with the values and you're living them. And so like every opportunity that you have to like make a choice that's values aligned or not values aligned, it's like those help build the community. Those are showing your community how you're making your choices. And no, no one has all the answers. And there have been many times where we're like, retract a statement and say it in a different way that is more inclusive. Like we're all learning. It's just like, you have to start somewhere and you have to learn as you go. And you have to pull people in. That's like the next step. We actually had a meeting a couple of nights ago. I'm like, we just need more voices to help dictate where this is going. And how we can speak to different communities because that is the next iteration. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So how can listeners learn more about the Female Climbers Collective than if they want to get involved in any capacity? Yeah, we are. We're on Instagram at mt.womens.climbing.fest. And then our website is mtwomensclimbingfest.com. Yeah, we're on those two platforms. We're also on Facebook, but a lot more active on Instagram. And so you can find us there. Awesome. I'll be sure to share all of those links to your socials and the website in the show notes so people can check them out easily there. But with that, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share your experiences. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book, on YouTube, or subscribe to our weekly newsletter at theoutdoorminimalist.com. For even more updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with the shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.